Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to begin this morning, but we're going to be doing a, a lot of work walking through the book of Acts, so you want to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, maybe you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, you don't own a Bible, throw your hand up because we have people coming up the aisles right now who have Bibles, they'd love to get into your hands. So if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, please throw your hand up, grab one of these. If you don't have a Bible, don't own a Bible, then just take this home with you. It's our, it's our gift to you. But grab a copy of God's Word and go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And as, as you're turning there, as you guys know in this series called One, what, what we're doing is we're, we're preparing our hearts, preparing ourselves for what we, we anticipate that God's going to do. And we're, we're looking for God to do some great things this summer and into the fall. Now it's funny because we've always, always been looking that way. You know, I can't think of a time in the last 10 years where we haven't been in a desperate place of, man, we need Jesus to show up if we want to see what we hope happen to happen. From launching the church to starting new ministries to, to, to missions to planting churches around the world to, to just the daily needs we all face as a family together of, of sickness and family struggles and financial needs. And, and here's the thing that, that I think we've learned over the 10 years, maybe over your life as a Christian. Well, I've learned this, that we can't rely on ourselves for these things to happen. Like, like we've tried that, it doesn't work. Why? Because you and I, on our own, have no real power in us at all. But listen, through Christ, through Jesus, we have all access to all of God's power through prayer. And our hope as we move forward with this plan to, plan to launch a new campus in, in, in Huntsville to see this campus here thrive and, and what God might have for us for a building even here in, in Bracebridge, as we look to all these things we want to have happen, we're looking to see something happen supernatural. So something where, where God does far more abundant than we could ever hope or think or pray. That, that, that if that's going to happen, though, we know we can't rely on horizontal methods. We can't come up with our own little earthly strategies of, of how to make this happen. We need real, true, supernatural power. Because we want to see something where, where God is at work, where his spirit is at work. And, and, and we've, we've seen it in, in the life of our church already over the last 10 years. You definitely see it when you open up the book of Acts and you see what God's doing in the early church that God was up to something that, that no, no earthly, no, no, no human methods could have created. It was God's power at work. And listen, as you read through the book of Acts, prayer was at the center of it all. Prayer was the, the driving force behind everything that they did. And so, so with this huge task coming to us this summer and fall, we're, we're, we're going to, each one of us, be asked to invest. Invest by giving more than we've ever given before. We're going to be asked to be involved by, by serving more than we've ever served before because we want to be united together as one family reaching all of Muskoka with the good news of Jesus Christ. And listen, it's not going to happen because we're going to have some slick building campaign. It's not going to happen because we have better promotion. It's not going to happen because we think of better ways of making you give more and serve more. Listen, it's only going to happen when every one of us is moved to being people of prayer. Amen. I mean, that's the driving force behind everything we do as a church. It's prayer. It's prayer. Last week, in, in, in the, on Sunday, we were looking in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, and we saw that the people there were devoted to prayer. 
Same phrase used in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they were devoted to prayer. Acts chapter 6, it said they devoted themselves to prayer. That word devoted, it, it means to continue in something with an intense effort. It means I'm going to persist in this no matter what else is coming around me. And, and here's what they were. They were all about prayer. They were devoted to prayer, constantly joined together in it. We read in the book of Acts that the early church turned their world upside down. Why? Because prayer wasn't just a side thing. It was the actual source of what was happening. In fact, when you read through the book of Acts, it's, it's the historical account of the early church getting started. It's, it's the book in the New Testament that has the most references, references to prayer. So what I want to do this morning, I want us to see prayer in action in the early church. So we're, we're going to do something a little different than we normally do. Normally, we take just a, a, a piece of Scripture. We dig down deep into that piece of Scripture to see what God has for us. This morning, we're going to take a bit of a tour of the whole book of Acts. All right, so get comfortable. It'll be about two hours. You guys good with that? You kidding me? I'm already sweating to death and I just started. I don't know. <clears throat> We can't cover every part of the book of Acts where we see prayer at work, where the church was devoted to prayer, but I want to zero in on just a, a couple of accounts that I think really illustrate the priority of prayer in the early church. So you got your Bibles open to Acts chapter 4. Now here's where we're seeing in Acts chapter 4 for the, for the first time as the early church gets started right away though, right away the church is under persecution. A couple of the, 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 the apostles, they were already imprisoned because of preaching about Jesus. They've been released, but they were told, don't ever talk about Jesus again. If you do, if the church continues to talk about Jesus, we're throwing you all in jail. Imagine you've been attacked. Imagine you've been threatened. What do you do about it? The church prayed. Look at verse 23. It says, when they're released, Peter and John are set free now. When they're released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They'd said, if you keep talking about Jesus, we're going to throw you in jail. Verse 24, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There's a church gathered together. Why? They're in persecution. They start to pray. Keep your finger in Acts 4, a little ribbon or a piece of paper or someone else's finger, and go over to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. We're going to see again persecution again. Church is under great attack in Acts chapter 12, and, 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 and they're calling out to God. Why? Because Peter's been thrown into jail again. And this time, this time it looked like he was going to stay there, not just stay there, but, but, but be, be killed, be beheaded. 
So Acts chapter 12, look at verse 1. About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. He's going to kill him. So Peter was kept in prison, but look at this, but earnest prayer was, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains and sentries before the door guarding the prison. Don't you love that? Peter was sleeping. I mean, how cool is that? Peter's not planning his escape, all right? He's not writing letters to a lawyer or to his MP, right? He's not coming up with some sweet hashtag campaign, hashtag free the Pete. Let's get that out there. Everyone will start to tweet it out. We'll get, right? He's not doing that. He's snoring away in prison. What a great picture of of just this peace of God in Peter. Verse seven, it goes on. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on, on the side. That's how sound he's asleep. And woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he he went out and followed him. He he didn't know what was being done by the, he didn't know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure the Lord has sent his angel and he's rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he he went to the house of Mary, the, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and they were praying. They're praying for Peter, remember? And, and when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she didn't open the gate. She ran in and reported that Peter's standing at the gate. Now imagine yourself, you're Peter. All right, you're, kind of, you're on the lamp. Like you're, you just broke out of prison. And you're kind of at that gate and they're going, bye, bye. it's me, Pete. Open the door. And then, then Rhoda comes in and she's like, what? Peter's at the door. So, so she runs back, doesn't even let him in. And she runs back to everybody praying. Look, look at verse 15. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so. They kept saying, it's an angel. So so Rhoda runs in. They're on their knees praying, Lord, please release Peter. Hashtag free the Pete, right? And and Rhoda goes, he's free. He's out there. Shh, Rhoda, be quiet. We're praying for Peter. (laughs) No, no, you don't get it. He's, no, it's probably an angel. Let's go back. Lord, we trust that you can do it. Peter's been set free. Flip back again to Acts chapter four. I mean, these are some foundational stories of of what happened in the early church, what what the church did to see God unleash power on the church. And we're gonna look at a few more, but right now I just wanna lay out a few truths even from these two. The first is this, when we are a church called together to pray, what are we doing? We're calling out to God the Father. That's our first point this morning, that we're, we're calling out to God the Father. Now, it seems so simple to say that that's, that's what we're doing, that we're, we're calling out to, to God the Father, but, but I think we can forget sometimes who we're praying to. 
We forget that he's our father. Happy Father's Day, Dad. I mean, thank you for being good dads. Thank you for, for loving your family, for caring for your kids, for, for all that you do. And, and I, I think sometimes when you think of prayer in the context of us as dads with our kids, I, I sometimes think of my kids coming to me, asking me for things. And there are times, you know this as a dad, where you have to say either not yet or you have to say no. And I don't know how it plays out in your house when you say no to your kids, but for my kids, they don't normally say, thank you, dad, you are so wise. I'm so glad you love me. And in your wisdom, you've decided this is not best for me. I will rise up and call you blessed. That doesn't happen in my house, all right? Maybe your house is more like my house where, where when I say no, right, it's sometimes met with bargaining. Yeah, but what if, if I do this, can you do, or, or, or it's sometimes met with tears, or, or it's met with a cold shoulder and silence. Because here's the thing, in those moments when my girls ask for something and I say no, at that moment, they don't want a dad anymore. They want somebody they can control. They want something way more manageable than a father. They want someone with less influence, someone with less authority, someone with less ability to reach into their hearts to teach them even in the no. I think it's why our prayers, our prayers to God, our Father, can be so sporadic at times where we, we, we might bargain with God a lot. We might go, go, go quiet with God and not pray a lot. Why? Because in that moment, God, I don't want you as my father. I want you as someone I can manage. And we don't trust him. And oftentimes, we want the thing we're asking for more than we want God and his power. God and his power even in the no. You look at Acts chapter 42 they're calling out to God. And look how they start in verse 24. It says they, they lifted their voices together to God. And how did they start their prayer? They said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They start their prayer by saying, Sovereign Lord. What does that mean? It means, God, you're in control. God, you, you control all. You're, you're going to accomplish things for your purposes. I mean, how good is that? When life seems out of control, when this world, I mean, you just follow the news and you look around going, is our world out of control? That we can rest with peace and saying, but God isn't out of control. God has his hand on all of this. So they start their prayer saying, sovereign Lord, you have authority over everything. I mean, this was huge for them. They're having threats breathed out against them, against their families. When your church is being attacked and threatened, I mean, it's good to be able to look up and say, God, I trust you're in control of this. That, that, that you have a purpose, that you're going to accomplish your mission in this. And so, so they, they, they pray out to God, you're sovereign. In fact, they go on in their prayer and they're saying, Lord, even, even as, as Jesus came and we saw what happened there, that it seemed like Herod and, and Pontius Pilate, like they were in control as they took Jesus to crucify him. What do they say though? No, it was all in your hands, your plans. Verse 28 says to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It wasn't outside of God's control. Still in God's hands. Still under his sovereign care. They're saying, man, man if, if that, if the crucifixion of Christ was part of God's plan, then, then we can trust God in this right now, in the chaos we're in right now. I mean, Acts 12 was the same thing. When Peter's thrown in prison... I mean, King Herod had all the power to do whatever he wanted to do. The church had zero power in that culture, but they had prayer. 
And what happens? God's greatness is displayed. Peter's busted out of prison. And and when you read that account, you realize there that Peter is not the hero of that story. Peter's kind of sleepwalking his way out of there. He didn't plan the escape. He didn't do any clever move to ninja around the guards. He just kind of stumbled out. It was the power of God. God's the hero of that story. He was in control. Herod wasn't in control. Now think about that. How would knowing that God is sovereign, he's in control, how would that change the way we pray? Knowing that God's sovereign over everything in the world. As as we look forward to what we're trying to accomplish as a church, I mean, something as simple as raising an amount of money more than we've ever raised before. When we think of what it's going to be to, to take this church and turn it into two churches and, and all the complexity of what that means relationally and, and administratively and all that. Or what about in your own life when, when, when sickness is at its worst? When relationships are strained? When things are confusing at work or at school or at, at home? When, when, when things around you just don't seem to be making sense, isn't it so good to know that you can, in that moment, fall on your knees and see that God is still on the throne, that God is still a good father, that, that, that God is in control, that nothing is outside of his care, that nothing happens by accidents. To know that even in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 12, the ones who are persecuting the church, those, those, those people were on a leash. That, that, that they weren't just doing their thing outside of, what they, outside of God's sovereign care. I mean, do you think Peter believed this? I think that's why he's fast asleep. He's like, I trust the Lord. If he's going to bust me out, he's going to bust me out. If he's not, then I'm going to die a death for his glory and his purposes will, be, will, will go forward and so Peter can sleep. Because God the Father is sovereign over everything in the world. It affected the way they prayed in the book of Acts. I mean, you get to Acts chapter 16, and they're praying for people to come to faith in Christ, praying that the eyes of of the people around them be open to salvation, and and God in his sovereignty opens people's eyes to his grace and his mercy, and they, they come to Christ. Acts chapter 18, Paul struggling. The apostle Paul saying, I don't want to stay in Corinth anymore. I don't think this is where I should be. It looks like nobody is hearing the gospel and responding, so I want to leave. And God says, no, don't. Jesus appears to him and says, says, Paul, don't leave. I've got people here in this city that need to hear. I'm at work. Stay. So Paul stays. He's not silent. And you read on that that countless numbers of people came to faith in Christ. That's the sovereignty of God. And here's what I'm convinced. I am so convinced that God has a plan for Muskoka and Perry Sound. He has a plan for our church. He has a plan for the church we were helped getting going in Mexico City. He has a plan for whatever ministries, whatever churches that God has for us next to launch out, to plant. And listen, he has a plan for all these people around us because he wants their eyes open to the good news of Jesus Christ. And God has the power to do that. And God wants to do that. I mean, if, if you believe that, that's a God worth praying to. He said, God, you're in control. You can do this. I love that because God's not only in control, but, but he also supplies all that we need as a good father would. I mean, this is something the early church knew. It, it changed the way they prayed. I, I believe it can transform the way we pray as a church as well. 
I mean, they knew this. They knew that the power of the church didn't reside in them. It wasn't their work and their ministry. It was the work of God, the power of God through them that accomplished it. And so what? So they were devoted to prayer. Why? Because they knew, God, you're going to accomplish your mission through us. It's not us trying to do a bunch of things for you, but it's allowing God's power through you to do his work. And so when they prayed in Acts chapter 4, what did they pray? God, we need your boldness in us to preach the word. And God gives them the boldness. In Acts chapter 12, God, we need your deliverance. James has been beheaded. Peter's in prison. He's about to be beheaded. God, God, you need to deliver, and God doesn't. Acts 18, Paul's going, I don't know what I'm doing. This isn't working. It's not happening. I need you to open up people's eyes, and God does the work to accomplish his mission. I mean, that's, that's the confidence we have as we go to prayer as a church, that he will supply. I think sometimes we, we don't pray because we, we become so self-sufficient and we think, man, my plan's gonna kill this. It's gonna do so good. If I do this, this is what's gonna happen. And we don't go to prayer, but listen, we, we lose out on the power of God. The way God works is when we humbly fall on our faces and say, God, I need you. I need you to do this. Tell you, it's the reason why we're doing this sermon series right now. It's why we haven't started a building campaign like you normally would yet. Why? Because I think it's more important for us as a church family to get in the right place on our knees before God and saying, God, you do the work. God, I don't want to give, but you can change my heart to give. God, I don't know where this stuff's going to come from, but God, you know where it's going to come from. So next week, we're, we're, we're putting together a prayer and fasting guide to, to hand out to you guys. So, so you have a, over the summer, hey, here's what I'm going to pray for. Here's what I'm going to be in the Word. Here's how as a family or, or with friends, I'm going to pray and fast to see what God can do. And, and here's why I'm excited about this, because we're already seeing God answer those prayers. I mean, the fact that we would be able to buy a church for $100,000 in Perry Sound, only God can do that. The, the North Campus, we're already seeing stuff happen. We're like, okay, here's the budget. Here are the things we need. And all of a sudden, things are now being donated out of nowhere. Where the heating and cooling system, donated. All the carpets for the place, donated. I mean, God's already beginning to do this work, so we want to call out for more. It's, it's beginning now. And, and so, so we believe as we call out that God's going to bring the right people, the right resources to supply what he wants to see accomplished in his mission. I think sometimes we, we don't pray as a church because we don't understand how much God wants to give us. I mean, what scriptures say? You, you don't have because you don't ask. God's ready to say, I'm gonna supply all you need. It's so important as we, we come to that place because, because not only are we calling out to God as our Father, but here's our second point this morning. We're, we're praying, why? Because we're completely dependent on God's power. Acts 4 if you're still there, verse 33, after they prayed, it said, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. So they're scared out of their minds. If I preach, I'm gonna die. God, give us power. And it says, God didn't just give them power. It says he gave them great power. Like you could translate that as mega power. They had this mega power from God. And then, then all throughout the book, what do you see? You see, again, them starting with prayer, God supplying their needs. 
In Acts 1, when it said they were devoted to prayer, all gathered together, what happened? The Spirit of God comes. Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and preaches, and you've got 3,000 people joining the church by the end of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John on their way to pray, it says. They were, they were going to the temple to pray, going to pray. And as they're walking and praying and going to pray, they run into a guy who has never walked in his life. He's healed. Chapter 4 comes along, and all of a sudden now the church has grown to over 5,000 people. I mean, when we think of reaching Muskoka, I wonder, maybe we should pray. It seems to be working, right, pretty well in the book of Acts. Flip over to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, there's a, there's a bit of a conflict going on in the church in Acts chapter 6. And so, so because of things aren't working so well, I mean, can you imagine instantly 5,000 people, they kind of don't have everything set in place. And because of that, prayer begins to be pushed to the side. Prayer begins to be kind of, well, that's the second or third thing we can do because we have all these other ministries we need to run. And they said, this isn't working. We got to get back into prayer. So they, they put together, hey, we need deacons to take care of a lot of these ministries here. And then look at verse seven. Because of that, because prayer becomes central again, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This prayer thing is working out really well for them. Acts chapter seven comes. Stephen is, is in, the, in, the, in the process of being stoned to death. Stones hurled at him. And what does he do? We'll turn to the end of chapter seven. Look at verse 59. It says, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out. He's praying. He's praying. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep, which is a nice way to say he died. What's he doing? He's being stoned. He's praying for the people, hurling rocks at him. What's the result? Well, look at, verse, look at chapter 8, the very next verse, and Saul approved of his execution. Saul, who will become Paul, is right there at that execution. Stephen's praying for him. By the middle of chapter 9, Saul meets Jesus, and he moves from being the greatest opposition at that time to becoming the world's greatest missionary. So listen, listen, what do we need to do? Parents, keep praying for your prodigal. All of us keep, keep praying for those who, who are lost in our lives, who are hurting in our lives, who need prayer. We keep praying for those. We keep praying for those people who we think are too far gone, too messed up, too sinful, too angry, too broken, too bitter, too whatever. No, no, you can't change those people, but Jesus can. The power of God can. I can't wait for our baptism survey, service coming up on Saturday to hear story after story of people who you would have thought years ago there's no way they would ever be changed by the gospel and yet they're gonna stand up and give story of that happening in their lives. Look at Acts chapter 13. Keep flipping. Go to Acts chapter 13 as we work our way through. Starting in verse one of Acts chapter 13. 
says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This begins the, the first missionary movement of the church. And, and Paul goes off on this missionary journey. And then another and another. And churches are being started all over the place. Why? Because they began praying and fasting and sent them out. Keep going. going. Go, to, go, to, go to Acts 16. Starting in verse 25. Okay, now, now Paul and Silas are in jail. There's a bit of a theme here. They keep getting thrown in jail. And you can guess what they're going to do, right? Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. Because here's the thing, you lose your prisoners, you lose your life. So he's like, forget this, I'm just going to kill myself right now. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. So, so one minute you've got a guy standing guard over here who, who's an enemy of yours and then the power of God moves in and now he's a brother in Christ. I mean, how does that happen? How do we see the power of God like that in our church? We do it by falling on our face before God and calling out to him and him alone. Jesus says in John 15, that if it says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. But then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, do we really believe that? Do we, do we believe that apart from being devoted to, to prayer for the power of God that we can do nothing? Do we, do we really believe that if, if as a church we're not on our knees in prayer and fasting that God's not moving? Do, do we believe that? Because that's what the word of God tells us. That we're gonna waste our time. We're gonna spin our wheels. We're gonna miss out on the power of God. We'll get nowhere, listen, outside of prayer. We don't, we don't need more programs. We don't need more methods. We don't need more marketing. And I got a crazy idea. We need more prayer. We need more prayer, more prayer, more prayer. Why? Because the power of God is unleashed. Every major breakthrough in the book of Acts came as they were praying. Listen, every major movement of God in the history of the church has begun when the church was on its knees in prayer. And it's the grace of God and the power of God at work. They're desperate for God and God shows up. Dependent on God alone. Here's our last point this morning. Why do we pray? Because we're completely devoted to God's mission. All the way through the book of Acts, when you see them praying, they're always praying about the mission of God. Why do we have prayer? We have prayer because we've been given a mission and, and prayer is our connection to Jesus. Jesus as the leader of the mission, as the one leading us out, that prayer's our connection to that. And we, we need constant help with the mission. We need, we need guidance. We need resources. We need power. We need orders. And in prayer, we have that connection. So, so you have to think, when you think about prayer, 
It's, it's less like sitting on the couch calling upstairs for somebody to bring you a drink, right? That's not prayer. Prayer is more you're in the trenches on, on a sat phone calling into headquarters saying, we need air support right now. Calling and saying, we can't see in front of us. We don't know where the enemy is. Can you tell us how to move forward? That's what prayer is. When we forget that, when we forget that we're actually called to a mission, when we forget that we're in battle, listen, we don't even need to pray, so we stop praying. I don't need prayer when I'm watching TV. I, I don't need prayer when I'm just kind of surfing the internet for no particular reason. I don't need prayer when I'm playing another dumb game on my phone. I don't need prayer then. You, you don't need prayer when there's no risk involved in your Christian life. You don't need prayer when you're not sacrificing everything for the cause of the gospel. You don't need prayer when you've just given in to culture rather than living according to God's word. You don't need prayer when you're just going through the monotonous religious check mark of week in, week out, I go to church, then I do. You don't need prayer for any of that. But when you sacrifice everything for Christ, when, when he's your only hope, when he's your only desire, when you, you've staked your whole life, your whole reputation on the cause of Christ, when, when the longing of your heart is day in and day out, man, I want to follow Jesus and lead others to the same. When, when the ache in your soul is that those to the ends of the earth who have not heard about Christ, that they would hear about Christ, man, then you need prayer. You're not just calling upstairs from the couch any longer. No, no, you're in the battle desperately needing God to supply. Why? Because your life depends on it. I mean, if we're actually engaged as a church family for lost souls, for those around us who are broken and hurting, prayer is crucial. It's fundamental. When we see the mission we're called to, man, we will pray. You know, I was reading this just a little while ago about, about what the mission actually looks like. And I, I think North American Christianity, we've kind of dumbed down the mission a little bit. And, and we've added like comfort as being kind of the, the main thing we need for the mission. I was reading about this. When, when you're baptized in the, in the church in Asia, here, here's how they baptize new believers. They ask them these seven questions. They ask this, are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to go to the village, to those who persecute you, to forgive them and share the love of Christ with them? Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Are you willing to go to prison? And the last one, are you willing to die for Jesus? Maybe we should add those questions to our baptism service. I wonder if our prayerlessness is, is mostly because we don't see ourselves on that same mission right there. The early church was dependent on God's power, desperate for God's presence and his grace. Why? Because they were devoted to the mission. When we see that, prayer begins to infuse our lives. Prayer becomes a part of our normal day. I mean, we're just going to be praying all the time. We're going to gather together for prayer. We're going to pray as we're going about our day. You see in Acts, you see both. You see them gathering specifically for prayer. Acts 1, Acts 4, Acts 12. They're gathered as a church to pray. You also see them just praying spontaneously with each other. My question is this. Do you have like a, a concentrated time of prayer where you say, no, this is my time for prayer. Nothing's getting in the way of this. This, this is scheduled in my day. I need to pray. Does your heart move to prayer spontaneously? 
And one thing I love about our church is the amount of spontaneous prayer that happens in our church. In fact, one, one guy I was talking to who had come to our church, he came and he, he commented on, man, it was so cool to see in the foyer so many people just praying. Like just, just a couple of guys here and a couple of ladies here and people over here, just, just people praying because there's this, this thing that goes on in our church and I love and I pray that God grows it more that when someone shares something, we don't just go, well, God bless you, I'll pray for you. We're like, hey, let's pray about that right now. Like, like, like let's, not, let's not put it off. Why don't, why don't we get together right now and let's pray? And we gather, hey, come over here. Can we pray together right now? Let's keep that going. We need that to happen. And we need scheduled time of prayer. The early church gathered for both. And when they prayed, they were scattered out on mission for the gospel. You look at the history of the early church and not just the book of Acts, but the history of, the, of, of all of the church. Every time you see a mighty move of God, which is what we're hoping for and praying for and desiring as we move forward. Whenever you see that, it comes when the church is united together in prayer and as they're praying, God scatters them out for the mission. Here's, here's an example. New York City, 1857. Super difficult time in New York City. In 1857, over 30,000 men had lost their job in just over a few months. So, so this one guy, Jeremy Lampier, he said, you know what we need to do? We need to pray. And so he sent out this invitation saying, I'm going to gather to pray on Wednesday at noon, whoever shows up. Any other business guy wants to show up, we're going to pray as businessmen for our, for our city. So at noon, Wednesday, he's in his office. And he's waiting, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Finally, a guy strolls in. And then another, and another, and six guys showed up that first time, and they prayed for the rest of that hour. Next week, 40 guys showed up. Then they said, hey, hey, we, we shouldn't just pray once a week, man. We need to pray like every day. So they started to pray daily. Within two months, listen, 10,000 businessmen across New York City were praying every day together in groups. God began to pour his spirit and thousands came to faith in Christ. Why? All because one business guy said, you know what? I think we need to pray. Or what about our own experience when we planted the church in, in Nicaragua? You've heard me tell this story before. I was just talking to Pastor Edwin just a couple weeks ago. He sent me pictures of what's going on there as the church continues to thrive. But I remember when they first started the church and Pastor Edwin would tell the story. He said, we had the, the harvest manual. Yes, we actually have a church planting manual, right? That says, and it's not the Bible. It's an actual separate manual. And then he says, we grabbed that manual and here are the things we're supposed to do. And he said, we tried to do them. We sent out invitations and, and nobody would come. We're like, man, what are we missing in the manual? Let's try this. Nobody would come. And you know what he did? He said, then we took the man and we kind of just threw it away. And we got up God's word. We said, I think we need to pray and fast. And so Edwin and his family began to pray and to fast. He said, let's set aside a week of prayer and fasting. While they were praying and fasting, people were coming up to the house and knocking on the door and saying, hey, 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 I heard that you know what, what the Bible talks about. Would you be able to start a Bible study? He'd be walking down the street and people were running out of their homes to catch him and saying, man, you need to start something where we can hear what the Bible's all about. And the church started. The church grew. The church exploded out of what? Out of prayer and fasting. In Korea right now, the church is growing in, in crazy amounts. Thousands of people per month being added to the church. Why? The Korean pastors, they say it's because of prayer. It's because there's unceasing prayer right now in Korea. He said, people will pray all night. That the people in the church, here's what they do. They say, we need to go to bed early tonight so that we can wake up as a church and have a prayer meeting at 4 a.m. I mean, what would happen in Muskoka if we started to have 4 a.m. prayer meetings? What would happen if we dedicated this summer to just calling out to God as a church, just praying and fasting? What could God do here? 
We're crazy if we think anything can happen on our own apart from God's strength and God's power. Apart from God, we can do nothing. But, but with God's power, we'll see this mission succeed. We'll, we'll see needs in our church taken care of. We'll see needs across Muskoka and Perry Sound met. We'll see the gospel go to the nations and think about it. I mean, if we really want to see God at work in our church, we want to see God at work in our communities, we want to see God at work in our families, then let's start praying God-sized prayers. Let's believe that, that, that what happened in church history, that, 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 that what God did, the movements of God, they belong to the intercessors, to those who are on their faces before God. And so, so that we would say today that we want to do the same, that God, we're desperate for your grace. We're desperate for your power. We're devoted to this mission. And so here's my prayer. My prayer would be that it's not they devote themselves to prayer, but that it would be we devote ourselves to prayer. Amen. So as the worship team comes up this morning, here's my questions for us. This morning, do, do you have needs? Do you have a need in your own life right now where you need God's power? Do you have a need in your family where, where you need God to show up in a way only he can? Do you need people to come alongside of you and to pray with you? We want to do that this morning. We end off the service like every Sunday. There'll be people up here, elders and small group leaders who would love to pray with you. If you need someone to pray with you this morning, come up and grab them. Grab the person you came with. Grab people around you this morning and begin to say, here's what I need God to do. I mean, do you want to see the gospel spread throughout Muskoka and beyond? Do you want to see the hurting people in our community find healing and hope? Do you want to see the lost be found? Maybe this morning you are the broken and hurting. Begin today. Begin this morning to call out to God. Maybe you are the lost this morning. Like, I don't have a relationship with God. I'm still on the outside of this, but I want to experience that. I want this new life. I want hope. Make the move this morning to call out to God, to grab somebody around you and say, would you pray with me for this? Would you stand with me now as I, uh, as I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I... God, we want to see you do far more so we know that that begins with us being a praying church. And so, God, I pray that you would stir that in our hearts even this morning. That, that we'd be a, a people in awe of all you've done in our church over the last 10 years. But, but, but like kids, we would call out and say, Dad, we want more. As great as you've shown yourself in our lives and in our church, we know that we're just scratching the surface of your power of your grace, of your mercy, of your love, of your work. So God, we wanna see more. We wanna see more marriages reconciled. We wanna see more relationships healed. We wanna see more addictions broken. We wanna see more mental health battles in victory. We wanna see more poor people cared for. We wanna see more love amongst us here this morning. We wanna see more people sent out to the nations with the good news of Jesus, more for your glory, God. That, Father, you would do it again and again. That you glorify your name. That you would fill us with your power and send us out for your mission through us. And I pray this in Jesus' name.